1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So as we've worked our way through the book of 1 Timothy, we arrived at chapter 3. Last week, Luke preached verses 1 through 7, where Paul is laying out the qualifications for an elder. An elder is a role in the church. They're also known as pastors. They're leading the church. They're exercising authority, mainly through teaching. We saw that in verses 1 through 7. They've got to be qualified to teach. But most important is that they're godly. And that's what the list in verses 1 through 7 was making clear. These are to be godly men who can lead and teach in the church. Now, verses 8 through 13 are another role in the church. So we talked about elders. This other role is the role of deacon. And that's what we're looking at tonight. And you might be thinking, okay, deacons. I don't know, I'm having a hard time getting excited about hearing a sermon on deacons. I've got, I've got real problems in my life. I've got issues at my work. I have problems at home. I've got issues with my kids and my finances. I just don't really know that we're going to reach the end of this sermon and I'm going to feel like anything has applied to me. Let me frame this this way for you. The local church, you're, you're in the gathering of one right now. The members of Redeemer Online, we gather together for worship. The local church is God's plan to disciple the world. So the local church is God's plan to make people like His Son. That's His discipleship plan. Another way to say that is the local church is God's plan to prepare you for eternal happiness and to preserve you for eternal happiness in Him. That's what the local church is. And deacons are a part of that. They're a role that God has assigned for His church for that, for your discipleship. They're not all of it, but they are a part of it which means they're important. They're important in God's eyes, and they are important to us. They should be. And I hope that we can see that through this text. Here's where we're going. We're going to talk about what deacons do. That's the first thing we're going to do, what deacons do. Then we're going to talk about the kind of people that deacons should be. We're going to talk about women deacons. And then we're going to talk about the rewards for faithful service. What deacons do, the kind of people deacons should be, women deacons, and the rewards for faithful service. Let's talk about what deacons do. Our passage doesn't really tell us. It does give some hints, but it doesn't really tell us 
what deacons do, it spends most of its time talking about the kind of people that they should be. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're just going to look at the first four verses of Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, these are the earliest days of the church, the church in, the, in Jerusalem. The church is just beginning. And seven men are called to serve practical needs for the church, and I believe that this serves a pattern for later for our life together as a church. So here's Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, right at the beginning of the church, brand new, a complaint by the Hellenists, those are Greek-speaking Jews, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That was probably the distribution of food or supplies that these widows needed. And the 12, that's the apostles, Jesus' 12 disciples, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Okay, so in Jerusalem, the church is caring for widows there. They're taking care of people who have lost, these women who have lost their husbands. And what has happened is that in the care of these widows, the Greek-speaking Jewish, now Christian, widows are being neglected. And this could be a serious problem, okay? Because this borders on the charge of racism. They're saying this is happening along ethnic lines. The Hebrews are well taken care of, the Jewish Christians, but the Greek-speaking ones are not. So this could be a, this is potential for big division in the early church. The apostles know that. Now the 12 apostles, decide the original 12 minus one, and then they added one after Judas, they know that they have a specific calling. It's to preach the word of God and to pray for the people. And so they call the church to appoint men who can take care of the practical needs of the church. That's what they're saying. They're saying, listen, our job, the job that God's assigned to us is to preach and to pray. But this is a serious deal. They don't say, just figure it out. They say, you got to find men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. This is important to serve the practical needs of the church. So you've got two groups here. You have the apostles in the church who are preaching and praying for the people, and you have this group of others who have been appointed to serve practical, and by practical I mean physical needs of the church. They're serving real needs. They're serving real needs and they're freeing the 12 apostles to preach and to pray. And that's why they're called. And this appears to be a pattern for elders and deacons. Here's the correlation. 
Elders are not the same as apostles, but elders are called to preach and shepherd the flock. Deacons serve to care for real physical needs in the church and to free the pastors for the work of teaching the word and praying. That's the pattern that we see set in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6 that's going to play out later in the church. So deacons, they're not a deliberative body. It's a big phrase, but it just means deacons are not a group that get together and they make decisions about how the church is going to be run, the directions that the church is going to go in. Depending on your background, if you come from a church that has deacons, there can be a lot of confusion because you may have come from a church where there was a group of people called deacons, but really what they were doing was acting like elders. So you may have come from a church where the deacons made all the decisions. They would meet with the pastor. They would decide where the church was going to go, budget, things like that. That's not what deacons are in the New Testament. Or you may have come from a church where there were elders and deacons and no one was really sure what their job was exactly. There was just kind of this power struggle between these two groups of people. That's not how it's supposed to be either. Deacons are called by the church to address specific physical, temporal, that means like this world kind of needs, like food and money, supply, cares. We currently have one deacon in our church, Ajith Vedanayagam. He's the deacon of music. So Ajith has been called as a deacon to help take care of all the things that go on in order for us to have music as a church, which is a lot making sure the instruments are working, the sound equipment is working, making sure that there's communications with Roel about the compound, the sound that we need, making sure the worship team has the music that they need, that it's all in the right key, that practices are being scheduled at the right times. And it's a lot of work. He's not paid for it. He volunteers. Our church has called him as a deacon. Our church is blessed by that practical need. And... The pastors of this church are freed from what would be a lot of work. And it is a blessing to us. It is a very big practical service. And that's what the word deacon means. The word deacon means servant. Now this word that's translated deacon here in this passage, it shows up a lot in the New Testament. Usually it's translated as servant. When there's a servant, this is the word that they use because deacons are given to the church to serve physical practical needs and you can see in our passage back in first timothy 3 deacons are not required like elders to be able to teach elders have to teach because that's what elders do they teach but deacons are not required to be able to teach because that's not what they do they are serving practical needs of the church. Now, here are the kind of people that deacons should be. That's what our passage is spending the most time with, the kind of people they ought to be. Verse 8, look along with me if you can. Deacons likewise, that word likewise means just like we gave qualifications for the kind of men elders should be, deacons have certain qualifications they need to meet as well. Deacons likewise must be dignified. 
So that word means serious or reverent. Reverent, it means you take God seriously, you revere him. A lot of times, I don't, I don't know how you think about the word dignified, but when I think of dignified, I normally think of somebody who acts like they're more important than everyone else. That's a very dignified lady right there. The queen, we think of the queen of England as being dignified. Like she has to act like she's more important than everybody else. That's not what Paul means. Paul means this needs to be the kind of person who takes serious things seriously. He takes God seriously. When he's interacting with another person and they're talking about their problems, he takes it seriously. He, this person lives in reality taking serious things seriously, especially God. The deacon should not be double-tongued. Do you see that? He's got two tongues. He can speak to one person one way, and then he can turn and speak to someone else another way. Not an honest person. Deacons should be honest. They should not be addicted to much wine. Paul's saying this person should not be attached to alcohol. They need to be responsible. They need to be self-controlled. They don't need to be attached to any pleasure that they can't live without or any form of escape. When life gets hard, I just got to escape. They can't be so attached to any form of escape, but God, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So here's what he means. Jesus wants the servants of his church to sincerely care for people, not to use people for what they can get from them. That's what Jesus is like, isn't it? Jesus is not using his sheep to get something. He's sincerely serving. So, so basically, verse 8 is saying this person lives in reality. They're serious about serious things. They're honest they're self-controlled. They're not motivated to get things from people. They're godly. Their life matters. A deacon's life matters. And their beliefs matter too. Look at verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith. That just means what's been revealed about the faith in Jesus Christ. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So Jesus wants the servants of his church to be people who treasure him for who he reveals himself to be in truth. Truth. Deacons should be truth people. You might think, okay, if this person's just passing out bread or delivering medical supplies to somebody or helping with some practical service, who cares what they believe? Passing out bread is passing out bread. As long as they're doing good for somebody, it doesn't matter what they believe. Well, that's not what Paul thinks. God cares what you believe. We are people, Christians, we are people who believe that God is at work. Which means, if you do anything with a heart that's trusting God in truth, God can be pleased. And he can elevate anything you do and make it matter spiritually. 
he can make passing out bread a spiritual activity that matters forever. He can if he's pleased. God is looking at the heart. He cares about what we trust when we serve. And because deacons represent the church, they're representing the truth. Jesus is not just whatever we want him to be. He is a person with distinct features. He has specific qualities. And deacons are representing him. It's important that they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Look at verse 10. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. They've got to be tested. This is interesting, isn't it? Just because someone is gifted or wants to serve doesn't mean that they should be a deacon in the church. I mean, this is a temptation for churches that are growing or have lots of needs. Like, we've got lots of needs. Do you want to be involved? Raise your hand. Who would like to be a deacon? We'll take you. We've got, we've got plenty of needs. We could use plenty of deacons. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. No, we want men who are tested. Are they holy? Do they really know Jesus? Are they servants like Jesus now? Because God is watching. It matters the kind of people who are serving in his church. It matters because his power can bless it or not. Healthy churches need people serving who are holy and love the Lord. And we're going to come back to verse 11. But in the meantime, look down to verse 12. These are specific instructions for men. Verse 12 says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. That phrase, let deacons be the husband of one wife, Luke explained last week. In the Greek, it says, a one-woman man. So Paul's saying, if this is a married man, he needs to be faithful. Not just he's never had a divorce. It's bigger than that. Is he the kind of man who in his thoughts and in his heart is a one-woman kind of man? Is he faithful? Is the deacon a faithful man towards his wife and towards his kids? Do you see that? If he has kids, does he raise them faithfully? Does he manage his household well? Married men, men with families, could this be said of you? Could this be said that you are this kind of man, a one-woman kind of man, that you care for your kids, that you're managing your household well, you're raising your children to know the Lord faithfully? It's required of deacons if they're married and if they have kids. It's almost certain, however, that it is not required for deacons to be married and to have kids. Luke spent some time on this last week because it would eliminate Paul, Timothy, and Jesus from being deacons in the church. This is saying if you're married and if you have children, this is the kind of man you must be to serve in God's church. Let's talk about women deacons. Verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, 
faithful in all things. Now, if you've got a Bible open in front of you, look at the footnote. Do you know what I mean by footnote? There should be a little number after wives likewise, and then at the very bottom, in very small words, it will say wives likewise or women likewise. Likewise. There are other translations. We use the English Standard Version, the New International Version, the New American Standard Version, the Revised Standard Version. Say women likewise, not their wives likewise. The Greek word here is gunaikos, which just means women. There is no there in the text. So there's no possessive there wives. The problem is this word gunaikos, gune, it means woman or wife. And the only way you know if it's talking about women generally or a wife is by the context. That's the only way that you can tell. Now, here's why our translation says their wives, referring to the wives of deacons is because verses 8 through 10 are giving qualifications of a deacon. Then verse 12 says he must be, let deacons be the husband of one wife. So that's talking about a man. Therefore, the translators say, women here must refer to the wives of deacons. Okay? That's why your translation in front of you says their wives. That's a really good argument for translating it, their wives. It is a really good argument. If you hear someone say, no, 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 this is talking about deacons' wives, don't assume that they're a pig. They may be, or they may be trying to be faithful to the text. That's really what we care about, is what is the text really saying? It flows well to translate this, their wives. But I'm going to argue that Paul is speaking about women deacons. And that verse 11 is like a parenthesis. He's talking 8 through 10 about the qualifications for deacons. Verse 11, parentheses, also women should be like this. And then verse 12, male deacons again. So here are the five reasons that I believe Paul is talking about women deacons. The first I've already mentioned is that the Greek just says women. So usually when that word is referring to a wife, the text will make it clear by adding a word in Greek like their, their woman, meaning wife. But that's not here. It's just woman. Here's the second reason. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul calls a woman named Phoebe. He calls her a deacon of the church at Kincreae. Some, some translations translate it servant because it can mean both. But the phrasing that Paul uses is Phoebe, being a deacon of the church at Kincreate, is used everywhere else. When that phrasing is used, it's talking about an official position. She's mentioned as a servant of a particular church, which means she probably held an office in the church. That's the second reason. Here's the third Last week, we saw that the qualifications for elders, we read through them, 
elder in the New Testament, you're going to see it a lot more than deacon because elders were a more prominent office in the church. But if you look at the list of qualifications for elders, it doesn't say anything about their wives, which would be strange, wouldn't it? That deacons' wives must be qualified as well as the deacons, but elders' wives. That's a strong argument for this being translated women and not their wives. It would seem very odd that elders' wives, nothing is said of them, but something is said of deacons' wives. Here's reason four. Deacons don't teach or exercise authority as part of their role. So we were saying in chapter two, when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to speak or exercise authority, we're saying, well, that's what elders do. And, and women are not mentioned in verses one through seven. But deacons, women are mentioned. It's not necessary for their role that deacons teach or exercise authority. So it would be fitting that women could serve as deacons. And here's the fifth argument. In the first 300 years of church history, we see several examples of female deacons in the church, and they weren't condemned. They're mentioned as, yeah, this, this woman was a deacon. These ladies were deacons. That's not true of elders in the first 300 years of church history. Now, here's why that's important. Church history should never overturn what the Bible is clearly saying. If you know what the Bible says and they did something different in the past, you need to stick with what the Bible says. But these people in the first 300 years after this was written, they knew Greek. They knew it well. They were very close to the original context that this was written in, and it seems like they believed Paul was allowing women to be deacons. And that is a convincing argument, which leads me to believe that women can serve as deacons. That's what the text is saying, provided that they're servants meeting practical needs. And this, this, the reason I said you may have come from a church where the deacons are the ones who are making every decision about the direction of the church, you'd say, well, that doesn't work with 1 Timothy chapter 2, but not the way we think about deacons, not the way the New Testament thinks about them. These are people serving practical, physical needs of the church. They really help those who need help, and they free the pastors, and it seems fitting, and it seems like what Paul is saying, that women would serve as deacons. All right, let's talk about the rewards for faithful service at the end of the passage. There are two promises for deacons here. Look at verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the first promise is that they gain a good standing for themselves. This is not Paul encouraging us to seek the praise of other people, like, man, I can get a good standing in the world if I serve as a deacon. People are going to see me, they're going to love me. That sounds like a pretty incredible promise. That's not what Paul is saying here. What he's saying are in line with the words of Jesus. Listen to this. This is Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 43. Jesus says something very similar. 
whoever would be great among you must be your servant, deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be great, not in the the eyes of this world, if you want to be great in God's eyes, be a servant. Be low. Who's the greatest of us all? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the greatest of all. And what did he do? He tells us. He gives his life as a ransom for many. He goes as low as you can go. He takes on the sin and the guilt of others that don't belong to him. And he dies stripped down on a cross for us. And he is the greatest of all. That's greatness in God's eyes. Do you want to be great in God's kingdom? It's not wrong to want to be great in God's kingdom. It's wrong to want to be great in the systems of this world. It's not wrong to want to be great in God's kingdom. If you want to be great, be a servant. Greatness comes in service. Let that sink down into your bones, Redeemer. Greatness comes in service in God's eyes. That's promise one. And here's the second. Those who serve well gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So when a church calls you as a servant, a deacon, an official servant to the church, and you serve faithfully, that doesn't save you. It doesn't add anything to your salvation. You are saved by Jesus dying for you alone. You trust that he died for you alone. That's what saves you. But serving faithfully when a church calls you and affirms you as a servant of the church should give you confidence that you really are connected to Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. You gain confidence that you really belong to him, which is such a precious assurance. So Redeemer, pray for faithful deacons. Desire to be this kind of person, Christ-like, a servant, If you aspire to anything, aspire to be great in God's kingdom, which in this world looks like being a servant, a servant of all. Don't wait to serve. You remember verse 10? It says, let them be tested first. The way deacons are tested is by seeing how they serve now. How do you serve now? There's so many needs in our church. There are many needs that are going to arise soon, Lord willing, if we're able to have kids' classes, kids' volunteers, and music team serve. Show hospitality to people in this church. That's not official, but it's a way you really serve people. Have them in your home. Feed them. Love them. Deacons are Christ's gift. We should honor the one we have. We're not seeking Ajith Vedanayagam, our deacon of music, to be great in this world. But you should thank the Lord for him and honor him for his service. And then let's pray for wisdom to call deacons to serve our church in the right way. 
and the wisdom to know who these people should be, and let's aspire to be servants. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for the way you've designed your church. Oh, I pray that you would raise up deacons more for our church who could serve faithfully. I pray that you would bless Ajith for his labors for our church. Bless our volunteers who serve faithfully. And Lord, would we be people who see with the eyes of faith something the world cannot see, that greatness comes in being a servant of all. Oh, please, would you raise up servants for this church? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.